Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. Hey, morning everybody. It's great to be together. Uh, Whether you are in your congregation meeting somewhere this morning or you are church in the home, it's great to not only worship together, but really get into the Word as part of our series that we're going through called uh, Culture of Grace. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've had some amazing messages from both Colin and Anna, and we've been looking at what stops us from experiencing the intimacy with God that He desires for us. Also, we've been looking at how shame is one of the greatest obstacles to intimacy and that grace is the best way to break the power of that shame. Now, we've been framing this conversation and the messages in the context of pornography, partly because it's important that as a church we address this issue, and partly that if we can talk about porn, then we can talk about anything. Uh, And so it's really, really important that we Uh, talk about these things and expose them so that we can come into the healing and the freedom that God wants us to. So if there is something that you're struggling with, uh, you do not need to go through this alone, okay? And that's why we're talking about this as a community of grace. Now today we're going to continue on the journey. Uh, Now we've looked at some staggering stats on porn that Colin brought out a couple of weeks ago. And we understand that it's something that affects not just men, but also women. And Anna's story last week was really powerful in the way that she brought her own testimony and how that had affected her in her own life. So what we want to do this morning is we're going to explore a bit more about the effects that pornography has on the brain to get a better biblical as well as physiological understanding of its effects and what we can actually do to address this. So Colin and I, we're going to have a bit of a conversation this morning and uh, this is round two for you, isn't it, from a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) Um, And Colin's going to do the lion's share of what we're going to be speaking about this morning. Now, in, in, you've referenced some of the pure desire material and the groups that are going to be starting up. Yep. And one of the phrases that it uses in this material is an interesting phrase. It says that porn is not just a moral issue, but it's also a brain issue. Yeah. So can you just unpack that a bit and explain what, what that means? Yeah, so I think none of us will probably have any problem with the idea that porn is bad. It's, you know, the Bible makes it very clear that sexual immorality and all that kind of stuff is sinful. It's not good. We talked about the effects that it can have on us and, and why it's uh, and, and our society and, and why porn is just not good. But I think there, there becomes an issue when we think that that is solely the problem, that it's right. just a moral problem. It's just a, well, now that you know it's bad, you can stop. You know, it, it, maybe the only excuse would be that you thought it was okay. And now you know it's bad, you can stop. And I think that's the most important thing to understand is, and what we're going to look at today, is the way that porn actually does affect our brains um, means that it's not quite so simple or clear cut as that. And it's not to say that it is not a moral issue, it is, mm. but it is also a brain issue, a brain problem. And uh, to, to better 
understand that. We kind of want to look at that a bit today. And I thought it was most helpful to frame that biblically to start off with, to say, well, well what does the Bible say about our brain and, and why that's important? And I think a really good place to start is this Bible verse that we all know really, really well, um, which is the idea that we should guard our hearts above all else for out of the, out of the heart flows uh, the issues of life or, or um, the direction of our life, depending on which translation you want to look at. Yeah. And what's interesting is that in Hebrew mindset, um, it, well, for a start, there was no actual ancient Hebrew word for brain as far as Hebrew scholars can find. Okay. Um, in Hebrew mentality, the heart was actually the seat of all thought and, um, and logic as well as emotion in, in Hebrew thought. So every time you see the word heart translated, um, when it's not referencing the organ, but more kind of out of the heart come these Who these, we are as a person. Exactly, what yeah. Goes yeah. On in us, yeah. A much better translation for us in the West would be mind or brain. We have romanticized the idea of heart. So heart for us might be kind of a, a very emotional or romantic idea. Um, but actually to understand that above all else, we're to guard our minds, our thoughts, for us has a much more firstly accurate kind of translation to what the, what the the Bible is trying to communicate to us, but also a much more practical application. The idea of guarding my heart, we might think, okay, well, I, I don't want to date the wrong person or I don't want to give my heart to the wrong thing. Right. But the idea of guarding my mind, well, that's every thought I have. That's every moment of every day. And that's far more what, what God wants us to understand. And even Jesus references this in, in Matthew when he says, out of your heart come all kinds of evil thoughts. Right. Well, thoughts don't come from our hearts, right? So. Um, yeah, so although we have the idea of the heart as being emotional, in Hebrew thought, actually, the kidneys, if you're interested, are where they thought more the depths of emotions were came from. And, uh, and the heart is more the mind. So it's really helpful. I really encourage anyone to do this, to find any Bible verses you can find about the heart, but read them as mind. Um, and it really changes the way we understand it. So the Bible says, above all else, so it's really, really right, important, right. we guard our minds. Right. And, uh, and I think it's so important that in this context, we understand what pornography does to our brains, what it does to our minds, and the, the weapon it is in the hands of the enemy to rob us of all that God has got for us. And this doesn't just apply to pornography, actually, it would apply to lots of other things as well that, that we'll, we'll look at, but particularly, obviously, as we're framing it in this kind of conversation. So to get a, a better idea of this, I think it's helpful if we understand a little bit some of the basics about the brain, the, yeah, how the brain yeah. works. Now, I'm not a, a brain surgeon, I'm not a brain expert by any <laughs> sure, stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Um, and we're just gonna particularly focus on, on kind of some key areas around this, around this um, topic. But I think it's helpful if we, we can kind of picture the brain as it's often described as like a very advanced computer. Right. Now, a computer sends its signals or its messages as in binary, zeros and ones. And the brain is far more complex than that. It just doesn't have ons and offs or zeros and ones but multiple, more than 60 uh, different chemical neurotransmitters as these chemical messages that, that are sent down the circuit pathways of the brain, if you like, right. to communicate between the different areas. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, the, you've probably heard a lot of these neurotransmitters, the main ones like ad adrenaline, we all know adrenaline, or serotonin, uh, which is responsible for um, uh, appetite and sleep patterns and circadian rhythms, that kind of thing, mood stabilization. Uh, and then dopamine, which we're going to talk about a lot today, yeah. which is a chemical neurotransmitter that's really responsible for 
feeling good, that kind of feel-good chemical, uh, amongst other things. It's part of our reward pathway. And so in the brain, uh, there are all these different areas, you know, the olfactory cortex about smells and all that kind of thing. But the bits that we want to really focus on today is yeah. two, two areas. The prefrontal cortex, it's our grey matter that's the bit kind of at the front here, which is kind of like the, the CEO of the brain, if you like. It's the, the seat of decision-making, of logic, of um, a procedural memory of kind of yeah. what we're doing yeah. at the moment, how we're processing what's going yeah. on around us. Yeah. Um, it's also kind of like the brakes of our brain. It's the bit that goes, well, hold on, is that a good idea? Let me think about that. Maybe not, or not for now. It's, it's very much the, um, the governing... Right. It's like the headquarters of what yeah, goes on. Yeah, it's right. the higher thinking yeah, yeah. part of the brain. Okay. And the other part we want to look at is the limbic system. And the limbic system is, is kind of more in the, the deep part of the midbrain and is um, made up of different parts. It's, it's made up of the hippocampus, um, the amygdala, the nucleus accumbens, um, and a couple of other bits as well that we're not going to focus sure. on. Those three parts are the bits yeah. we're really going to um, focus on. And the limbic system has got a few different functions, but it's mainly around um, our processing of um, procedural memory, our, our short-term memory, what we're doing in a moment, and then filing that as long-term memories at the hippocampus. Right. But then also the nucleus accumbens, which is part of our reward circuitry, the bit that tells us when we're doing good and, and releases the dopamine that says, oh, the feel-good chemical, yeah, right. you're on the right, right. track. Right. Um, and then uh, also the amygdala, which is the, uh, the fight-or-flight part of the brain, the... Um, the adrenal response, the, that, that epinephrine, that part that says, do we run away and hide or do we stand up and fight when there's something that comes up against us? Now, all of these parts together, the limbic system, are really part of our survival brain. There's right. some emotional kind of um, aspects to it, but it's really that instinctual brain. And, uh, and understanding how these two work together is, is going to be key for understanding what the effects of pornography. Yeah. Um, and I think it's helpful to understand how these two are supposed to work together healthily. So in a normal, healthy brain, um, the, uh, the limbic system, you might get a, a feeling of, I'm hungry. Um, and your limbic system is saying, OK, survival means you need food. Find some food. You need to eat. And our prefrontal cortex would go, oh, yeah, but I'm in the middle of a meeting at the moment. Can we just wait 20 minutes? You know, and, sure. and the, uh, the limbic system is like, OK, we can, we can wait. Prefrontal cortex, we're working together. Um, and then 20 minutes later, you go on your lunch break, you go to a cafe or whatever, you take that first bite of the sandwich and, and your limbic system releases that dopamine, that feel-good chemical. Right. Goes, Great, you've done it. You've survived another day. Well done. You like, yeah. have this feel-good chemical that makes us, it kind of reinforces that good behaviour. And we go, oh, it feels good to eat because eating keeps me alive. It's really quite that, that um, instinctual. Sure. And, uh, and then what's going on in there as well, the amygdala is kind of quite aware of the, the surroundings and it might be part of the whole, the sights, the smells, the sounds, the people around, that, that environmental awareness. And then the hippocampus goes, right, let's um, file this away into, into our memory to know when you're hungry, this is a good thing to eat, this right. is a good place to eat, right. this will satisfy that desire. Right. Right. So you might find yourself kind of going like the, Oh, I'm feeling hungry. Where should I go? Oh, well, that place I went the other day was good. Part of that is our, because of the service was nice or whatever, part of it is quite instinctual. Our survival brain is going, that's where you can get food. You right, need food to right, live. Right. So that's really how it's supposed to work, how God has designed our brains to work in a healthy way. Um, but the, the problem 
um, with pornography or substance abuse and things like that is the way it hijacks our brain and the way it's supposed to work to um, really shortcut the prefrontal cortex, that logical decision-making part of the brain, and just give us a desire for just that feel-good chemical, that right. dopamine, just, right. I want more of that, that was good, I want more, where can I get more? Right. Rather than it becoming about something that is healthy and good for us. Right. So, is that why then, if the brain works in that way, and you, you feed it in certain ways, do things certain ways, is that why then we talk about something like porn being addictive? Yeah. Uh, what goes yeah. on then to, to cause an addiction, or certainly in the area of porn? Right. Yeah, it was a really good question. So I think it's helpful to um, define addiction a little bit. And, and it can be a difficult thing to define. Um, but I think to ask ourselves the question, um, has it taken you somewhere that you don't want to go? Has it made you pay more than you wanted to pay? Has it taken longer than you wanted it to take? Um, is it interfering with your day to day? Uh, is it something you've tried to stop and you can't stop? Is it something that has negative consequences and yet you still do it? And if the answer to those questions is yes, or to most of them is yes, then it's probably becoming, if not already, an addiction. Right. Um, and the reason that porn, you might, people might think like, well, pornography, you don't like take pornography, so right. how can right. it be it's addictive? Like you don't like, have a drink or have a, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so the way that, um, that addiction work, or chemical addiction, so drugs, alcohol, things like that, essentially works is, when we talked about those neurons, those circuit pathways yeah. in the brain, the, the brain's, um, brain cells, um, they communicate with one another by releasing these neurotransmitters, dopamine, for example, um, across the, the gap between them, which is called the synapse. And when you take certain, um, certain substances, for example, heroin or marijuana, what they do is they um, have a, a, a fake chemical that kind of um, will do what dopamine does right. in the brain. Right. And so your, your neurons pick up this fake chemical and they go, oh, it's, it's like dopamine, it's feel-good chemical. Right. And so right. you feel good and you have that euphoric high. Other um, kind of substances like uh, am amphetamines or cocaine, for example, work in a slightly different way that they um, inhibit the reuptake of dopamine. So you, your brain releases the feel-good chemical, dopamine, um, but rather than that be doing its job and then being reabsorbed, it just floods the brain and it stays there because the reabsorption is blocked. And so you just live with this right. for a short time, yeah, okay. this sense of, oh, this feels so good, right. and again, that euphoria. So we think we, people can get addicted to a drug, a substance, but actually what they become addicted to is the chemicals that are being produced in their brain anyway right. that that drug is stimulating. And so that's called chemical abuse. But things like gambling or pornography are process abuse um, and, but they do the same thing. They cause the brain to produce that dopamine hit that's way higher than, than is natural or normal. And, uh, and that's what becomes addictive in the same way as the, as the chemical, is right. we get addicted to that, I want that high. Right. And this is where the enemy steps in. Right. As it, this is where this, this tactic of the enemy to rob us of the, the health that, the, the way that God has intended our brains to work. And so um, with this flood of dopamine, we start, to, we start to have this feeling of, I just want that again, I want that more. And what happens just as the same with, with um, substance abuse, 
the more we experience that rush of dopamine, um, the more uh, we actually lose our dopamine receptors and we build up a tolerance to it. And so uh, as time goes on, what before gave you a dopamine hit and that high and that euphoria, you now start to have a sense of, well, I need that just to feel normal now. And then you start to go for a harder drug or more of it to have that high. In the same way with pornography, people can find themselves looking at um, harder and harder images or, or darker and darker sure. stuff looking for novelty, looking right. for something to right. give that same dopamine hit that they had at first with something that was very, really by comparison, was nowhere near quite as extreme. Right. And can be looking at stuff that is now like, if you ask them when they were sober and, and thinking straight, they would go, I do not want anything to do with that. That is horrible, that's awful. But then going back to that thing because they just have a sense of a need of right. this dopamine hit. So it's actually a very, very similar process in the brain. So. So that's, from what you're saying then, that's why um, initially doing something or looking at something uh, doesn't necessarily addict you in that moment, but it's a process. Yeah. And the more you go down that road over a period of time, the stronger the effect of what's going on in your brain has that begins to then control other aspects of your brain in a different way. Yeah. And therefore, you, you, you get to the point where I can't, I can't stop doing this. Even yeah, though yeah. I feel bad, I feel guilty, I feel shame or whatever, um, you keep returning because we have to deal with that in a different way than trying to, well, just stop it yeah. in that sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's not just, I think it's really important to recognise it, it's not just pornography or gambling um, that does this. This is the way that social media is designed to work on our phones. You know, the right. idea of you just scroll that bit further is on the next screen will be the thing right. that satisfies a bit more. The next tweet, the next video on YouTube. Right. It's actually they're, they're programmed to uh, appeal to our dopamine or reward right. pathway, right. reward right. response. Um, which is why you might find that if you're just feeling a bit down or a bit lonely, you might just, without even thinking about it, pick up your phone and just scroll through and that numbing out is right. just that little, small low doses, right. but that little oh, boost of dopamine, oh, a little boost, little boost, and I right. need it to feel right. normal. The same might be true of shopping or I just feel like there's something missing in my life and so I'll go and buy something even though I've got maybe credit card bills mounting up and it's, there's consequences but I do it anyway. Right. So in the same way that shopping is not an addiction necessarily, but the way that it's advertised to us and the way it's sold to us and the way that it's not just sold as a, as a product, but sold as a lifestyle is this thing will satisfy you. Right. And so it is addictive in nature okay. and if not kept in check can become an addiction. Yeah. Um, so both, both you and Anna, when you, over the last couple of weeks, you, you've, you've used this phrase, medicating mm. uh, and it sounds like you know from when I've been listening you know in the context of there might have been things that have gone on in our lives various things things that have happened to us or choices we've made in whatever way uh, and therefore we then to deal with whatever's happened as a result of that we, we start to medicate on something to yeah. either escape the pain or the scenario uh, and, and you've used that kind of phrase, but you've also used the phrase, both of you, you know, what we're talking about is not actually about sex itself. Yeah. It's about what leads to those addictions and what causes those things yeah. over a period of time. So um, maybe can you just sort of, how, how does the phrase, you know, we medicate on something or this is not actually about sex, how does that yeah. kind of work in the context that we're speaking about? Sure. So 
the, the whole um, reward pathway in the brain um, and the dopamine response might um, answer part of the question of why would someone keep going back? And again, and it kind of highlights the idea that it's not about sex, actually, it's about it's just a thing that gives me that boost and that high and that feel-good feeling. Right. But what about the thing that got somebody into it then in the first place? Um, and this is kind of a part where the amygdala has, comes into play. So that fight or flight response, but also the situational awareness kind of part of the brain. Um, and so what can happen is in a moment of feeling stressed or anxious or lonely or depressed or whatever it might be, yeah. that, that low mood time, um, to in uh, the hope of finding some outlet or some way of addressing that low mood. Or peace or, or peace. well-being. Exactly, or well-being, exactly. Yeah. All those, yeah. those ideas, which, of course, God has designed us to find in him and, right. in, and in work and in social interaction and all those kind of things that are healthy and good for us. Instead, we might look for it in a bottle or, you know, in a, in online, on shopping or on your phone or pornography. Yeah. And so what happens is when we, we find that thing, it does give an immediate um, feel-good feeling and does help to relieve that, um, that stress or whatever it might be in the moment. And this is, this is the, the, the kind of the lie, really, of it, is that it might feel good in that moment. And so our brain is going, that was a good thing. And, uh, and our uh, amygdala is aware of everything that's going on around us and st starts to go, OK, well, this was what was going on at that time. These were the people you were with or the place that you were and, and, and all that kind of thing. And our hippocampus is then saying, when you were doing this thing in that, with those people in that place, you've got this massive release of dopamine. Dopamine is good. It's the feel-good chemical. We want more of that. Right. So I will remember it. I'll put it into long-term memory as this pathway of dealt with stress. It took you, and that survival right. part of right. our brain, it goes, right. survive this stressful situation, get out of the stressful situation. Um, and the way that that happened really quickly and really effectively was pornography, for example. Right. And so the next time you're in a stressful situation, your brain, which is so amazingly wonderful, got a design to be efficient, yeah. doesn't go, okay, prefrontal cortex, what should we do about this time again? It just goes, well, we'll just do what we did last time because that worked really well. You don't right. even have to think about it. Right. And it bypasses or begins to bypass the prefrontal cortex and take you straight from when I'm in that position, in that experience of stress or anxiety, whatever it might be, then the, the easiest, quickest way out of it is to go back to pornography or so, to that so stuff. So are you saying that basically that kind of thing programs your brain yeah. and puts you on one level on autopilot yeah. to deal with certain things? Um, then you, also you, you mentioned about um, when, when things get to that point, they're developing this, this word, you know, that sounds like the medical world uses this as well as we do in, in, a, in a spiritual sense, mm. starts to develop some strongholds. Yeah. And our mind can you just sort of unpack. Yeah, so... If there's autopilots, there's behaviour we just go to now. Yeah. What, what is that? Why? What's so as we, as we use those, those same circuit pathways in our yeah. brain, they get reinforced and reinforced and reinforced. And what started off as like, you know, a, a country lane, if you like, you know, yeah. a little bit rough and ready to, between two points. Right. It's almost like it becomes like a, a you know, a 10 lane super highway right. of this is the quickest, most efficient, easiest way to deal with a situation. Right. And so this explains a lot of the behavior of the addict who um, will act out and then immediately say, why did I do that? 
Why did I do it? It's ruining my marriage. It's ruining my ministry. It's ruining my relationship with God. Why did I do that again? Because they're not actually even in some ways able to think about that logically or rationally in that moment. Right. It's just completely bypassed. Right. Um, and of course, the, the worst thing about this, the really insidious nature of it, is that the withdrawal symptoms, which you get of, with pornography or, or process addiction, the same way, that, that um, dropping off of dopamine, right. you get the come down, yeah. comes with it anxiety and paranoia and fear and discomfort and uh, a sense of, am I ever gonna feel good again? And of course then, our brain, we've now trained time and time and time again to say, when you're feeling those things, what do you do? You go straight back to pornography. Right. And you can go around this loop of just, you, and, and because the dopamine receptors get slowly more and more tolerant to that level of dopamine, the irony is you're looking for more and more and more to give you the same fix to make you feel better. But the stuff you're looking at, because it's getting more and more and more and worse and worse and worse, makes you feel worse. And you get this horrible downward spiral of just feeling worse and worse. And that's what the Bible would start to call a stronghold, where we're now almost unable, it feels like, in, certainly in the natural, to be able to just, just go, well, just stop it. You know, just, just right. don't do it. It's a moral right. problem. Just right. don't do it anymore. Right. And the, the addict at that point of being triggered is like, is so um, unable in that moment to, a lot of the time, to be able to make a rational decision to go, hold on, what am I doing? Yeah. That um, it almost becomes inevitable. And, and that then brings it back to that medicating of just trying to feel better because the thing that you're medicating yourself with is making you feel worse, so you do it again, which just reinforces and reinforces and reinforces. Right. We often, we often talk about soul ties in the context of a wrong relationship, two people getting together, an emotional soul tie or physical one because mm. they've you know, had a physical sexual relationship with one another outside of marriage in that sense. Yeah. Um, would you say then in the context of even um, an addiction towards pornography, that there can be a soul tie with an image yeah. or what's going on because of what happens in the brain. Yeah, abs absolutely. So um, the, the words that the Bible uses are uh, becoming one or joined with. And, uh, and I think there's definitely a spiritual connotation to that, but also two other chemicals that are released in the brain. Actually, the, the point of orgasm are oxytocin and vasopressin. And oxytocin particularly is the bonding hormone. It's released in massive quantities when a woman gives birth and then holds a baby for the first time. It right. bonds you to the baby. Right. Uh, it's when a couple are cuddling or staring lovingly into one another's eyes. And, it, it, and it's released in, in sex. And so you've, you're chemically being bonded to that person. Right. It's also released when you're looking at an image of a fake person, uh, when you're looking at pornography. So you're, you're chemically becoming glued to what you're right. looking at. Right. And this also really ties a lot into the whole love addiction thing that, that Anna was talking about last week. And often why um, people can end up staying in abusive relationships because they sleep with their partner and they're re chemically rebonded. Something that God has designed for a right thing between husband and wife in marriage is then used in a wrong way to glue you to the, the wrong person or the, right. or the wrong relationship or the wrong image. Right. That's never God's intent. Um, and also why you can have women who can go, well, anyone um, who can go from relationship to relationship to rela after relationship because they start to lose that sense of, of closeness that has been um, awakened before the proper time. Even, you know, the Bible talks about do not awaken love before the proper right. time. Sure. Don't glue yourself 
to the wrong person and on why the Bible talks about not having sex before marriage because you're gluing yourself to a person that might be a really bad fit for you um, and, it, and it, it ruins your objectivity and everything. So yeah, you, you can be gluing yourself right. um, chemically to pornography yeah. and having that soul tie with the, the images that you're seeing. Yeah. So yeah. it's again, it's just everything that the way God has intended our brains to work is being hijacked when we're, we're looking at the wrong thing and not having those, those right and good things in the right place. I mean, obviously, the great thing about dealing with a soul tie is that that can happen, you know, when we pray. Yeah. And we can break yeah. that, that soul tie, that connection in somebody's yeah. life so they're free from that and actually can then move on and move forward yeah. uh, to then having the strongholds of their minds dealt with because they're going to be transformed by the renewing of their minds in that sense. So, uh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So... You're describing then that the brain can go onto auto autopilot, have these superhighways now that have, have sort of programmed the brain yeah. and, and have created strongholds. Um, now, we don't generally, from a spiritual point of view, think that there can be negative strongholds in, in that sense, and all that does that. But, but actually, we can. those strongholds can be broken, they can be changed, and they yeah, can be yeah, replaced yeah, yeah. In, in that sense. So... Um, even though there are strongholds and you've described, does that mean we're not responsible any longer for the decisions we're making? Yeah. Uh, or do we still have a responsibility, even though there are strongholds there? Bef yeah. Before we get to the, how do we deal with the strongholds? Yeah. Is there still a responsibility that we have? Yeah, well, I think it would, if you were to take that, that statement I just made really out of context um, and say, well, the addict, you know, they almost, they can't do anything about it right. at the time. We think, well, it's not their responsibility then. Yeah. Absolutely not. I would say that it is, it is always, and for my own, for my own sake, you know, um, I could never blame anybody else for my decisions. There might be, have been reasons in childhood and things like that that may have given it some level of predisposition and we could talk about you know, generational curses and all that kind of thing and epigenetics in there and the way that the brain works with that as well, but that's probably for another time. But they can never become an excuse of I did because. Right. And even at that point where your brain is, is being so limbi limbically driven and, and is just being flooded with these fight or flight kind of adrenaline um, fueled decision making that just says, just get your fix right now. I was still the one who made the decisions the months ago or weeks ago, days ago, hours ago, years ago, that has led to being at that place. Uh, maybe a good way to think of it would be like being at the top of a steep hill and seeing a big boulder and thinking, oh, this would be fun. I wonder what will happen if I push it down the cliff. Now, hopefully my, my you know, prefrontal cortex would go, hold on, that could hurt somebody. That could be a really bad idea. What if it hits the house or whatever? Um, but if in that moment I went, yeah, whatever, I'll do it anyway, and gave it a bit of a push and it started to roll, at that point, maybe I could have gone, oh no, this is not a good idea and, and try push it back a bit and stopped right. it. But if I still made another decision to go, no, I'm gonna still let it go. I, I won't deal with this issue, this behavior or whatever now. And it starts to roll a bit faster. And at this point I'm thinking, oh, stopping this now might be, might be a bit dangerous, but I should try. If I don't let it go, then it obviously it builds up momentum, builds up to the point where it's rolling so fast, the idea of getting in front of it is just gonna, yeah. just gonna kill me. And then it shoots off the end yeah. of the hill, it smashes the house, causes all this destruction. And, and then 
and, and that you could you say at that point where it's rolling that fast you almost lost the ability to control it but I was still the one who pushed it in the first place and I, I think we must never use that as an excuse to excuse our behavior or oh, I'm out of control so I can do what I want yeah. that's yeah. never the case yeah. and actually you know the, the Bible talks about in every temptation we, we all have the same temptation that's common to all men um, but even in that, no matter what it is, God will always give us an escape route. And so right. I don't think we can ever use that as an excuse right. of, right. well, I'm, it's beyond all control. Yeah. We, what it does is not give us an excuse, it gives us tactics. It should help us realize that the time to fight this battle is not just, and I use the word just importantly, it's not just at that point of, I really, really want to act out, I've been triggered, I've been like, I'm at the place where I'm, I'm a minute away, 30 seconds away from acting out, that's not really the time just to fight the battle. Right. The time to fight right. the battle is the hour before when you had an argument with right. your wife sure. or whatever, or you, you, know, you got angry at the TV because of this or whatever it might have been, and you started to, to be angry and acting yeah. limbically. Or it might have been the week before when someone said, hey, we've got a course called, called Pure Desire, do you want to sign up and it'll help you deal with it? And, you know, there's actually, it helps give us the tactics to say, the, the fight is over here. Yeah. The enemy wants to say, the fight is here. Put all your effort into fighting sure, this. Sure. And it's a complete distraction. The fight and the battle is in not stopping the temp, you know, not just stopping the, the acting out in the moment, but is in the renewing our mind right. and changing those pathways yeah, yeah. while we're sober and while yeah. we're thinking clearly and go, okay, Jesus, help me learn to change these pathways that lead me to that point yeah. now. So you, you mentioned this word trigger mm. a minute ago, that, that some things trigger. So how important is it then to know what triggers yeah. certain behaviour? Because if certain things trigger and you, you go into autopilot, and well, I'm just down the road now doing it because yeah. you can't control it in that sense. Um, how important is it to recognise what triggers that behaviour? Yeah. Um, and then how do we begin to see change in our lives then. Yeah. Because um, we've identified a lot of the issues and how the brain works. What do we start to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, trigger is, a, is an interesting word. It's linked to temptation, to use a, a kind of a biblical term. Um, and there's a difference between motivation and trigger. So the motivation is the why we might want to do something. Right. Which kind of comes back to maybe trauma or a wound or... Um, uh, and then the trigger is the when we might do it. Okay. So the motivation, for example, might be that somebody, maybe they had, uh, maybe they had some childhood traumas like abuse, that kind of thing, physical abuse, and the sound of a man being angry and shouting triggers. Therefore, when they're in that kind of um, that kind of environment where maybe someone's shouting, and it's got nothing to do. It's years later. It's got nothing to do with abuse, but now they're in a work environment and their boss is a bit angry with them and shouts. The trigger then is this, this um, situation of this is what's happened before, this is what I now must do. And that fight or flight response to escape the situation, which might be, again, pornography or something like that. But a trigger could be also nothing to do with necessarily trauma or a wound or anything like that, but just a particular location. For example, just last thing at night, being the last person up in the house on your own and you're awake and like, what else am I going to do? Right. In that moment, yeah. you're, again, your amygdala has, has, has learned when I'm in this situation, I can, I can feel good by doing this. And so the situation or the, the place where you are, the time that it is, the people that you're with, your brain has learned now is the time to act out to do this yeah, thing. Right. So actually, um, in that, that tactic of how do I combat this thing, 
addressing those triggers, recognizing those triggers is a really, really key part. And so a, a really just really practical thing that might sound really obvious is, um, is things like, well, just deciding I'm going to go to bed at this time every day and then having some accountability with somebody, whether it's a, a spouse or whoever, to say, hey, I think we should go to bed and always go to bed at the same time or whatever it might be. Right, sure. or, uh, or if it's in this particular, um, <laughs> if, it's, if it's in the shower, for example, then just start to get in the habit of every morning in the shower, I put on worship music. I listen to a podcast. I put on the Bible, you know, the Bible yeah, being read yeah, to me and listen yeah. to the word. So you're changing the, what was a trigger yeah, point and, right. and you it's always... You're right. Yeah, yeah. because the, that yeah. trigger always said, when this happens, you go down this pathway. Okay. And what we're doing is we're saying, no, I'm going to make the decision now to, to rewire my brain to say, I'm going to make this pathway right. the pathway that I right. go down. So that so there's two things here then uh, going on. So you, you're beginning to go into like how do I rewire or renew my mind? Yeah. Because yeah. Right? sometimes we come at this situation, any addiction, you know, but often with pornography or some kind of sexual issue, we come at it like we just need to pray and repent, mm. and you know the power of it will be broken and yeah, you'll be yeah. all right. Um, but often you've you've also said there's a lot of repeat behaviour that goes yeah. on, the cycle of behaviour with addictions. So why not? Just pray then. Yeah, so uh, we have to pray. Obviously, yeah. we, that's, that's vitally important. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a good way to look at this is, is like the point that you got saved. Um, at that moment, did God make you an entirely new creation? Yes. Right. Were you born again and given new destiny and a, a new heart? And yes. Were you made clean and righteous, no longer a sinner, but uh, you know, uh, saved by grace? Yes. But did you then also have to spend the rest of our life um, <laughs> learning to walk that out, to right. appropriate it, to make what living Jesus... Living in the good of it. Living in the good yeah. of it. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, um, the theological word is sure. eschatological reality, which is the idea nice. that yeah. um, uh, what God has made us to be is what we are, all, what we are becoming. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is um, written about in Hebrews, where the writer of the Hebrews says, he, through one sacrifice, he is made forever perfect those he is making holy. Right. And so right. this idea, well, how can I be perfect forever and yet still be being made holy? Surely these two things like, and, and this is kind of one of these mysteries of like the, of, of the Christian walk is that I need to now appropriate what has already been made true for me. Right. A, a lady um, wrote, uh, shared a testimony with me a, a few, a couple of months ago, which was, and she worded this absolutely amazingly. She said that I realized having been in, in, in bondage for 10 years, that I'd been sat in a prison cell with an open door. Right. Like Jesus yeah. has set us free. He has made it possible for us to walk in freedom. But we now need to learn to appropriate or make real for us that it practically put into place in our lives these, these things that we're looking at today, these, these truths, so that we can walk in the good of it. Um, so with, a, with the, the addict or the addictive behaviour, um, it's about that... Um, letting those, those pathways that we made that go, lead to bad behaviour, the less we do those things, the more they dry up and die off and are pruned. Uh, you know, even you know, John 15 talks about the, my father, the vine dresser, and he's pruning the unfruitful branches. Sure. We could even take that as a picture of the, what he's doing in our minds and I'm pruning out these, these things that aren't good for us. But at the same time, we need to also be establishing the things that, that are right good and yeah. are right. And that's what yeah. the Bible talks about being renewed. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but 
be transformed by the renewing of our, of our right. mind. Right. So it's the, the culturally, relationally, this transformation comes from having our minds renewed um, and walking in the truth of, of who Jesus says we are. And, and there's a whole load of practical things we could do yeah, sure. to apply that. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what we want to look at a little bit at the moment. But to just pray is to say, Jesus, take out my brain and make me a robot that always chooses you. To, to bypass my free will. And that's never God's, been God's plan. Right. So we pray and say, God, would you heal the brokenness? Would you heal the hurt, the woundedness, any um, physiological damage, all those kind of things? Would you do that? Yes and amen. Would you um, uh, bring me to a place of breakthrough and a place of repentance and that measure of faith that I need to respond to you? Yes, amen. But that also then needs to be followed by right. discipleship. It yes. needs to be followed by uh, a continuing, continuing renewal of our minds and continuing right. to right. walk in the good of what yeah. he yeah. has for us, which is why the idea of if someone said, can, can I just come to the front, you just pray for me and it just be dealt with? Well, we could come and pray and it would be dealt with but then it would just be an issue the next day when you then went back to the same thing because without that renewal and that, that learning right. to walk in relationships yeah. step and step yeah. with Jesus, we just keep walking back. We're like Proverbs talks about a dog returning to his vomit. We know it's not good, but without being learned, sure. without being taught sure. how to walk yeah. in the new highway, yeah. in the new way, that yeah. narrow way, yeah. um, which also another way we could maybe apply to our brains, like that narrow way that Jesus is, wants us to walk in, then we'll just keep walking back that path of destruction and keep going back to where we've right. been before. So would you say then, what you've just described about we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, that is how the negative strongholds that have been built up or programmed mm. are then broken down because truth replaces lies or truth yeah. replaces deception or truth replaces a cycle of behaviour that's developed stronghold. So therefore, over a period of time, we are, we are, we don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, yeah, which the, is what we've been doing. The pattern doing. we've had before. Right. Pattern so thinking. there's a pattern going on. Yeah. So now the truth redefines the, the thinking because the Bible says that we've been given the mind of Christ. So I'm assuming then from what you're saying, it's learning how to appropriate and live and take the good of the mind of Christ that we've been given so that the strongholds of the truth dismantle the negative yeah. strongholds yeah. and then we live with a new way of thinking and therefore what has become a wide highway that leads to destruction in our lives, mm. that, that highway gradually gets shut down, yeah, broken yeah. down and because we focus on this, not because we're trying to battle with that. Yeah. And then as we focus on the truth and that builds up these strongholds that then become yeah. Instead of a Kingdom maybe initially they're like, like those yeah. new part maybe like the country lanes, but they yeah. then become highways as the truth really then becomes the dominant way of thinking in, in, yeah. in, in our lives. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's this is another trap that people fall into, is to understand that this is not like a, a week long process. Sure. I mean, in one sense, the idea that you know we have been saved. Uh, we are being saved and we will be saved. That, that middle bit, the being saved, yeah. which is sanctification, well, it's, it's the yeah, life, is the whole yeah. of our lives. Yeah. But the idea that we can go from um, these, these pathways, superhighways of destruction to a superhighway of grace yeah. um, and truth and, and life, yeah. that they will change overnight is, is, is just, God can do a miracle, of course, but that sanctification process um, 
takes time because it's 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 learning, it's yeah, sure. applying, it's living out. Sure. Um, and so that though sobriety can be reached in you know ninety days of of um, the effects uh, addressing of yeah, the effects with. of that thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But the the stronghold of the mind, the the these superhighways, so to speak, that, of destruction. That's a process of two to five years. That's a, a case of, of bit by bit dismantling yeah, yeah. abstinence, you know, leaving it, sure. not going down that pathway. Every time that might go back to pornography is laying like a, you know, a, another lane on it, so to speak. But every day that you're not, it's just starting to, the tarmac's cracking and crumbling right, and, right, and, you know, there right. are nobody repairing it and it's yeah. just starting to become less and less right. used. Yeah. And it eventually becomes that, like, it's so, so, um, state of disrepair so to speak to yeah. use that terminology of like a highway or motorway um that it's it's easier for our brains our brains are going well the the thing that feels good and the thing that and remember that's a right god designed thing it, to have that naturally and that, that happen yeah the right balance the thing that feels good is not this fake um quick solution but actually is the is the when you go in your, to your small group and when you have true relationships around you, when you're gluing to your wife, when you're, uh, or, or your husband, you know, when you're praying and you're worshiping, and you're meeting with God, these things feel good. And it's not about feelings, you know, that's no, the no, thing no. that drive us. Yeah. But that is, that is one of the byproducts of living right and living healthily, is that our brain is, comes back to homeostasis, comes back to right balance. Okay. And we come back to that sense of, I, f I, I just, I feel healthy. I'm, I am healthy, I am living right. And, uh, and that, that super highway lane kind of becomes comes a bit uh, great, you know, yeah. bigger and bigger, Brilliant. faster and faster. The, yeah. the way that our brain yeah. naturally starts to um, right. to, to conform it's to, right. it's been transformed. Brilliant. So now rather yeah. than it, it being, well, this is the way I went before, yeah. it now defaults to this. And, and I've seen the same in, in my mind, that I've, in, in my experience, that situations that before would have led me down this route doesn't even come into my mind. Right. You know, before I would have, right. it would have been impossible not to think this way. Yeah. Now I, I look back and go, oh yeah, I was just in that right. situation. Didn't even cross my mind. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's, yeah, that's, that's where God wants to take us. So, so over the last few weeks then, we've just been wanting to burst the bubble, okay, of certain types of conversations that we might have or not have. Yeah. Uh, wanting to burst the bubble of shame or silence and that. And we've been looking at, how the brain works then and why cycles of behavior don't just get broken in yeah, a prayer yeah, yeah. in that sense. There's forgiveness, there's cleansing. Yeah. God sees us as holy and blameless because we're his children. Yeah. But then he also gives us an instruction manual, the Bible, to learn, well, how do you then live in that freedom? How do you yeah. live in that health and wholeness with him? So yeah. um, we're obviously gonna continue on over the next few weeks um, looking at how do we now live in the good of all this? What yeah. do we do? And I know we're going to do a few weeks in, in, you know, through November as to who we are in Christ and what does it mean to have Christ in us and yeah. all of that was going to help build up the power. So establishing those yeah. good yeah. pathways. But yeah. just maybe now, you know, obviously to close in terms of just um, our response to this morning yeah. and, and this part of the series, uh, it'd be good just to pray yeah. for a couple of minutes and, and just anything practical yeah. that people can do as a response to, to the message? Sure. Well, I think, obviously, the first response is going to be join a group. This is a bit of a taster <laughs> a session. Yeah, pure, pure, join sense. a pure desire yeah. group, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and again, those, those are happening for men at the moment, for women will come next year. Yep. Um, but this is, today's just been a bit of a taster and just one part, just looking at the brain is just one part of the, of the equipping that happens in those groups. Um, but this is where we need community. You know, we talked about that idea that in the moment of, of being triggered, the ability to go, I don't want to do this thing, this is a bad idea, is lost. That's where you need community. You need, for guys, you need guys around you to, in that moment, hold you back, to say, don't go there, remember what you're living for, remember the truth, and to hold you back long enough for your, your prefrontal cortex to take over again and go, oh yeah, thank you for that, because that would have been a really bad idea. And as that pathway, people are holding us back from going down that pathway, yeah. to get it to the point where it becomes disused, yeah. you know, abstaining from that behavior, then our prefrontal cortex stops getting hijacked by that behavior. So then next time we are triggered, we've been given the space, if you like, to, to be able to go, hold on, I want to take that thought captive. That's not a good thing. That doesn't lead to good behavior. So we, that's the, I just want to re-emphasize what's why we need, or part of the reason we need community. We can't do this on yeah, our own. Yeah. We need accountability. We need guys around us. Um, but I think spiritually what we can do is, is to pray mm. and to make that decision uh, and to just invite the Holy Spirit to come and deal with any spiritual strongholds as well, any, you know, the spirit behind this stuff, the spirit of pornography and, and lust and addiction and perversity yeah, yeah, and depravity sure. and all yeah. that kind of stuff, to address that. But then also to say, Holy Spirit, would you, would you take me on that journey of walking step by step with you? Um, and that, that even if it hurts and even if it's the most painful journey and it may be really hard, it may be really long, but it's the one that leads to life. Right. Um, and just making that decision in our heart of hearts to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you no matter what. Right. And if that means I need to learn to be open and vulnerable, and it, needs, it means I need to learn to give up all of my coping mechanisms for stress and, and anxiety, and, and that's painful. I experienced that as a year of suddenly going, I have no idea how to deal with stress anymore because the way I dealt with it before, I can't do anymore but I don't actually know how to deal with it healthily because I've never learned. And that was painful. So we need to recognize, okay, Jesus, this is going to be a journey that, that might be long and might be difficult, but the fruit. Yes. And to just yeah. say, Jesus, yeah. help me just remember, show me the fruit that you've got for me. And to keep coming back to the who you've made me to be, the promises you have for my life, the, the scriptures you've promised, you've spoken over me, to keep coming back to that. So I think that's our first step, but yeah. we have to know yeah. It's, it's just the first step. Right. Um, but this is a journey that God's got us on for the rest of our lives of discipleship, knowing him better, more and more fruitfulness, less and less distraction, destruction, sure. yeah. And, yeah. and expressing his goodness more and more. Brilliant. Should we Thanks. pray? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank yeah, you. Father. Yeah. Father, I want to thank you for what for what you've done in my life and what you are doing in my life. Jesus, I know this is, this is a, still something that you are taking me into deeper and deeper and further and further and more and more renewal and more and more good fruit. And Jesus, I thank you, Father, that you would remind every single one of us just that, that the joy that you've got before us of the people that you want us to reach of not just the freedom that you've got for us, but the freedom that you've got for those around us, yeah. that you want us to, to, 
lead them into by example that we have an answer that you take you take our our woundedness and our brokenness and turn it around into a testimony that 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 cuts down the enemy and Jesus I just pray for every person that that's been part of this this series so far that Lord you would Jesus help us to make that decision to say Jesus I am going to stick to you like glue. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go on this journey with you. I trust you that your grace will be sufficient for me, that there is freedom, there is hope, and that Jesus, uh, uh, we just come against every spirit of destruction and, and lust and perversity, yeah. depravity, addiction. In Jesus' name, we cut yeah. you off. Yeah. And we ask, Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Come and fill us to overflowing. That, our, that you would lead us, Holy Spirit, into all the truth. That our next step would be into more truth and into more truth and into more truth. I pray for courage in vulnerability to join groups, to speak to someone, to share, to be open, to confess our sins one to another and, and pray for one another that we might be healed. Yeah. Jesus, for healing from trauma. But Jesus, just that, yeah, that Lord, that taking you by your hand. Yes. That Lord, we would follow you, go with you, move with you, that we would step into the fullness of the freedom that you have for us. And if, if there's anyone, Lord, that not, struggling with this themselves, but just wants to be able to help others. Father, teach us to be gracious, to express grace as you would yourself. Jesus, to be patient, to be encouraging, to keep reminding of destiny and, mm. and hope and just keep pointing to, to you and to goodness. And to time and time again, just have that heart of the father of the prodigal to celebrate every step that someone takes towards home to put the robe on their shoulder, the ring on their fingers, the, to slay the fatted calf, to celebrate every step of freedom and, uh, and restoration. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Just, um, just finishing off this morning, uh, just got to remember, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And in a culture of grace, um, we don't judge one another, we don't condemn one another, We've all received God's mercy for things to be treated in a way that we don't deserve. And grace is then enabling people to become everything that they've, God's created them and called them to be. So we want to continue to be like that towards one another. And next week we're going to look into how do we continue to develop that and be like that for one, one another. So if you do need to respond to this morning practically in terms of signing up for a, a Pure Desire group, then you can do that and uh, you can get in touch with Colin, colin.squires at kingdomfaith.com. Uh, if you uh, are a lady and you want to find out more, you can contact anna.andrew at kingdomfaith.com and uh, see what help and support you can get um, through, uh, through what's going to be beginning in the new, new year as well. So hopefully you found this really helpful, guys, as we continue to move forward in this, uh, in this series to, together. So uh, bless you guys. Have an amazing week uh, this coming week. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.